Alden's mom died from breast cancer in 2003 when Alden was seven years old. Her mom's journey was not a secret, and Alden remembers that her mom did not let cancer take her pride. The battle was on her timeline. If you are enjoying the podcast, can you please leave a rating and review? This helps other people find the podcast as well. I'd really appreciate it. And now, Alden's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today I have with me Alden, and she is sitting in North Carolina, which is very close to a little piece of my heart. One of my kids is in South Carolina, so... Um, I'm going to turn the mic over to her and let her share her story. And then I will be back with a few questions. So thanks for being here today. And this is, we've been, we've been trying to schedule this for a while. She's a, <laughs> she's a two-time Google form uh, submitter. So I'm really glad that this is happening today and appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you, Beth. Mm-hmm. All right. So my name is Alden. I am 28 years old. Now, mother of a three-year-old son, and this is my story. Um, starting early, uh, so it's been heavy on my heart to just be able to branch out and tell my story. I lost my mother at the age of seven. And she was only 37 years old to a fight with breast cancer. And it's kind of funny, like, throughout life growing up, I always wonder, like, and I'm pretty sure everybody does, like, how did they get picked for this certain scenario in life for? How did they get the dealt the card of life? What picked them out of everyone? And growing up, you know, people always say like, God gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers. But you truly don't feel that way. And after now being 20, 20 years, you think it gets easier. It's funny because I think I tell people it gets easier. But uh, truly, it doesn't. Uh, I was telling someone one day that grieving, but grief has no timeline. Um, and it doesn't go away, of course. So it's one of those situations where you learn to adapt. You learn to mold, learn to conform to certain situations. And one thing I always appreciated, even being a seven-year-old, five-year-old, so when my mom was diagnosed, I was only five. And she passed away by the time I was seven. So it was very quick of a process. And I always told her, like, well, I 
in my head. You know, I pray. I always tell her, thank you for like not hiding anything. Nothing was hidden. I wasn't my mom's only child. I have a brother. Who we are. Lucky number seven, seven years apart. And uh, that's my best friend. That's my protector. It's nothing he wouldn't. It doesn't. No. But his grief journey is way different than my grief journey. He holds it in. He's very stern and just a straight wall. But at the age of seven or, you know, between five and seven, she didn't hide anything. Treatment, she didn't hide it. And she showed us how strong she was. And I remember being like, what is going on? All these people are always home. Like, why is everyone always home with us? Like, Everyone was always visiting. And I was like, we must have the fun house because everybody always wants to come over and visit. And it wasn't like she stopped doing stuff. Like, you know, like one of my favorite memories growing up. And now it's like a tradition that I try to do with my son is she always took me to the toy store. And we have like an old school toy store here. Like, not Toys R Us, but like a family-owned toy store that's been open for over four years and she always took me there and then we have like a shopping center and her tradition was to always take us to get smoothies at the juice shop but it's just I always wonder like are all these people here because nothing stopped she still took us to basketball practice dance practice school we all we were still taking care of so nothing stopped but everybody was always there and then what she did so it finally started to click when she didn't just you know of course do chemo she expanded and did every type of back then treatment that was offered or I remember so vaguely like going to, she went to Arizona for like a holistic treatment. And like now older, I'm like, that, that's so cool. Like, nobody was really thinking that that way back in 2002, 2003. But things kind of like happened so quickly. I'll never forget the the strength and the peace and watching her cut her hair out. And then, like I said, like, I really appreciate her for letting us be those, for those moments. Like, I've never really spoken to my brother and asked him, like, do you remember or do you ever think about, like, but I remember so deceitfully being there when she cut her hair and she decided that it wasn't going to take her pride. It wasn't going to, you know, the battle wasn't going to be on its timeline. Like, the battle was on her timeline. So, she decided to cut her hair. And I remember everybody being there. And I'm like, why is everyone, everyone here? And why is it such a big deal? But 
it was one of those moments where I, I love it. Like 20 years later, I have these flashbacks and these distinct memories. I, I appreciate like something can just make me think about something. I can drive through the town and I could drive by the neighborhood we grew up in and I'd be like, I remember. Or sometimes I do go sit outside that house and just be like, I remember. And distinctly, I remember the day. My brother was at a was at a basketball game with my dad. And we got I guess my dad got the call, like basically to come to the hospital. And we were in the hospital and it was snowing. And I remember just being a kid. So like everyone's in a hospital room. And I remember because I have cousins, we're all staircase. They're all the same age. I remember we all just like at the window, looking out the window. It was snowing. And so like... When it snows sometimes, I get sad. But when it snows sometimes, I find peace. So with grieving, it's never, you never can wake up and decide what type of day you're gonna have. And you never, you never wake up and decide like, it's a journey like now working 28 and I'll never forget what a, what the job I have I, I, de- I deal with like insurance and working with others and people call in of course they always tell their story so a young lady told me that she was just trying to make sure her insurance was okay because she has breast cancer and all I could do was get silent because she was no more than 40. And I was like, you know, like, what do you say? Like, are you sorry to hear that? Or, you know, are you praying for them? Or didn't know what to say. I was just lost for words. And I was like, it's, it's just like one of those moments, like, you never know someone's journey. So I remember having a conversation with her. And somehow, I don't know how, but I told her, like, I lost my mom at the age of seven. And she asked me, how was I? How am I? How did I deal with it? Because she had a teenage daughter. And she truly didn't know how to deal with it with her teenage daughter. And I told her the best experience and the best advice I could give her is don't hide anything. Because now it's part of my story to tell people how strong my mom was. And now it's part of my story and my legacy to tell people how I got to watch my mom be strong. And and now I get to tell like my son when he gets older, like your grandma was the strongest woman I know. And when it happened, it was at the age of seven. It really put me in a stage of, I don't think I understood fully that my mom had passed away. 
And like I said, I was in the room when she passed. Um, my father, my aunts, they didn't hide anything from us. We were very hands-on and, and there. <laughs> like, we were there. Like a fly in the room, but we were there. Like, And I remember... Just always wondering, like, I don't think it really hit me until probably I got back to school. Okay, so it probably hit me when I got back to school. And all the teachers are, like, apologizing. They're hugging me, and I'm like, I'm okay. But deep down, like, just for the moment, I was okay. So just for those current years. But then when I got to middle school, it probably settled in. And kids were mean back then. Like, <laughs> kids were really mean. Um, I remember people, like, asking, like, your mom's dead? Your mom died? And I'm like, yeah <laughs> but I have a dad my dad didn't miss a beat always always like my pick my mom like you picked a great dad and everybody isn't that fortunate I understand how two crazy middle school kids fell in love got married and had two kids and sure back then she didn't know the car life would do her but like she did an amazing job (laughs) my dad was So hands on, like so hands on. Uh, we weren't the richest, but he never made us feel like we wasn't. Uh, he hustled and he did whatever he had to do to make sure we we still got to live the lifestyle that we were raised on, and we still got to. I still danced. My mom signed me up for dancing. I stayed at that dance facility and I danced until I went to ninth grade, I think. And he made sure that every recital I was prim and prep and ready. And he made sure that every dance class that my mom had originally signed me up for I was still a part of. And he made sure that we we missed out on nothing. And like I said, I know it's not it's not that way for everybody. And and I appreciate that so much. 
And it wasn't anything that my dad didn't try to do or he never wanted us to feel any different from the next kid or the neighborhood kids or the kids in our classroom. No different. My dad was very emotionless. So growing up, we had a saying in the house, like, we don't have feelings in this house or, you know, we're not, <laughs> we don't cry in this house. And I was just like, oh, okay, I lived in an all-guy house. I had my dad and I had my brother. So I was just like, oh, okay, that's just, <laughs> that's a dad's way of thinking. Like, okay, it happens. We don't cry. So I remember thinking, like, I've never seen my dad cry. And, of course, my dad losing my mom had to be the hardest thing ever. And then to have to transition to be, you know, single father had to be the hardest thing ever. And I remember I've never seen my dad cry. I've never seen my dad worry. Never seen my dad just in a state of frantic or panicking and it just always spoke so much to me because why does this man not cry why does this man not what is wrong with this man why is he so always so serious but my dad raised us in the church and he had faith and I always remember saying like I don't get why he doesn't grieve like who doesn't grieve like we just, oh, we'll lose somebody. He was so supportive and he was always there, but it was just like, I've never seen this man grief. Like, ever. So, I remember like growing up, and once I got to high school, it started to hit me like a brick wall. I got to go to prom. My mom's not going to help me pick out a prom dress. I have to go to, I have to be in a Jabberwock pageant. But I was not going to help me pick out my pageant dress. My mom, and then like, you know, my senior year, everything was associated or not associated, but, you know, like when I would do stuff, like the pageant, they introduced me as the daughter of the late Alva Jean Joyner and Donald Penix. And I was like, oh, now it finally, like, a little reminder is finally, like, kind of sit in. And it's like, my dad never, he never, I never forget, like, as a girl in an all-guy house, when you start your period, my dad dropped everything. Like, I don't think he really knew what to do, but he dropped everything. And I didn't go to school that day. And he went out and bought everything on the aisle. Because he didn't know. He was like, he's going to figure it out. And going forward, I didn't drive. I was too young. Going forward, he just, 
he just bought a stockpile like who's that who dad doesn't buy stockpiles of stuff so you know he, he bought a stockpile and I'm like why are you always buying so much of feminine hygiene for me did I realize he wanted to make sure I never never growing up had to go in the store and buy anything never had to go in the store and be like mm, what should I get am I forgetting the right thing because Lord, my dad bought the whole story. So I was just at home like, I haven't grown up when it came to prom. I wanted to be a brat so bad. Everybody was getting prom dresses at the local dealers and, you know, the local JCPenney's or something. And I had my dad drive me all the way to Richmond, Virginia to go to the prom store. <laughs> and he let me pick out an $800 dress and at the time I don't even know why I picked it out now but like the pinkest blingiest dress ever and my dad didn't care and growing up my dad taught us how to drive at the age of 14 and 15 in cars by 16 but it was normal I didn't want to well like a I didn't want the cutest little, I don't even know what cars were like that thing back then, like uh, like a little cute little punch buggy. I didn't want those. I wanted whatever my dad got me. So my first car was a Toyota 4Runner. And I loved it dearly because it was my mom and dad's car. And it just, it just was so different. It was like my mom and dad's car and my dad my brother drove it and then it was my time to drive it I got to drive it and it just it just held another piece of my heart and then it was time to apply for college and I applied for all these schools but in my heart I was like I'm gonna honor my mom's legacy or I'm going to go to VCU, just like my mom did. I just want to see what it's like. So I applied to VCU, and I got in. And I got placed in the same exact dorm that my mom got placed in. And I remember loving it, but hating it. I loved it, but hated it. I loved it, but hated it. It made me independent, but then it didn't. I called my dad. And I asked for a parking pass so I could have a car. And what did he do? He bought it. And what did I do? I came home every weekend. <laughs> I came home every single weekend. And I'll never forget that I didn't I didn't have I had my dad and I had a village. In that village that I miss a beat. My mom had two sisters. And then on my dad's side of the family. He has I guess you his, his cousin. His cousin. And when I say 
even being in Virginia and me being raised in Greensboro or, you know, going to, living in Greensboro and her being in Virginia, she didn't miss a beat from the age of seven until now. Every single weekend when I got out of school, I went home to Virginia. And every single summer, I went home to Virginia. And I have a room in her house. And I still have a room in her house to this day. And anywhere and everywhere we went, they said, that's your daughter? She said, that's my daughter. And her in-laws, they called me her granddaughter. And you never understand, like, how things work until things have to work. So growing up, like, I didn't have my mom. My mom sent the village. She didn't. She didn't. She didn't play. She sent the village. Her sisters. She sent the village. Her sister. My aunt. She didn't miss a beat at all. And she always told people, or she always says, I love you like my child because you are my child. And I'm just grateful because, like I said, everyone's journey is not like that. My village, they picked up and they molded me into the woman I am today. It wasn't easy for my dad to do it. But he never had to struggle because the village, the village was strong. It takes, it truly takes a village. That village was strong. And I was raised to be respectful. I was raised to honor those. I was raised to be strong. I was raised to be a hard worker, and I appreciate that so much. And the values that they instilled in me, I cherish so much. Like, I when things happen, I laugh and I be like, "That's my mom. She's sitting aside. She knew I needed it." <laughs> When I'm worried, I can go to, like, my safety desk. So I can go to my aunt's house, and I can sit on the porch, and a red cardinal will just come down and sit right on the tree. It just, it just won't go away. And I'm like, she's trying to tell us, like, it's okay. I remember growing up and being so worried for, like, little stuff like prom so worried about to graduate but then when I was 24 I found out I was having a child and it was different (laughs) as excited as I was I kept asking myself like how do you how are you about to be a mom? Like, you don't know how to be a mom. Your mom. How are you going to be a mom? Like, 
you don't know what to do. And I'm like, I never forget the moment I told my dad I was so scared. I told him in public I was so scared. <laughs> I told him while I was at work, public. I literally called him to my job. He drove. He drove hours away, and I literally called him to my job, and I just needed him to talk to me in public because I was so scared. And uh, I remember telling him, and he's like, "So what's the plan?" And I'm like, "Raise a baby." I don't know. What am I supposed to say? Like, I don't want to say nothing where he thinks like I'm not ready. Whatever the case may be. And I remember telling him, like, well, don't tell anyone. No, rewind. I told my aunt first. I told my mom's sister first. And I'll never forget. I walked in the house. She was cooking or she was cleaning. I sat down. And I said, Auntie? <laughs> and she said, Alden? And I just started crying. And she was like, You're pregnant. And I was like, Yeah. And I'm just crying and crying and crying. And she said, Why are you crying? I said, Because. I don't want y'all to look at me differently. I don't want y'all to judge me. I don't want y'all to be mad at me. I don't want y'all to be disappointed. She was like, how can we be disappointed? Your mom had her first child at 25. It's a rolling circle. You'll have your first child at 25. A baby stops nothing. It just adds to life. And in those words, I was like, okay, I can, I can conquer the world. She gave me the okay. So when it was like, when it was time to tell my dad, I was like, I told him. And he kind of just was like, okay. He did. He was very emotionless. And I remember like, that's just my dad. Like, I know when my dad's happy. So my dad's happy. And I said, don't tell anyone. And before I got off my shift from that job, everyone knew. <laughs> everyone knew and I remember wanting to ask someone to speak for me a question or tell them something and it wasn't oh your dad already told me and I was like I just saw him 30 minutes ago how did he already tell you and it was like at that very moment I knew it was okay and my dad lives in Maryland Every single weekend during my pregnancy, he was in Greensboro. And he'll come to my job, and all my coworkers knew, your dad's coming, and he's bringing his chicken. And I'm like, I guess so. My dad would walk in with chicken and a cooler of Gatorades, Powerades, waters, and you would just pick what you wanted. And all my coworkers knew. And it was like our lunchtime thing on Saturday. And then when I got off of work, my dad took me to get a pedicure every Saturday. And that was our thing, my whole pregnancy. And then I got to eat wherever I wanted to. And that was my thing. My whole pregnancy, my dad doesn't know. He held my hand. And my aunt doesn't know. She held my hand. 
her very first appointment. She was right there. And she knew what every appointment was. And and she couldn't make it to an appointment because of COVID. She's texting me the whole time. What did they say? How big is the baby? What's the baby's heart rate? And they never made me feel like I was alone. They never made me feel motherless. It never made me feel like one of those kids. Like, you know, everybody just was like, watch out for her. Her mom died when she was a kid. Or, you know how you see the stereotypes on movies and stuff? And you're like, another story. <laughs> that's how they that's how they write it out. But we're all not like that. <laughs> so having my son, I remember my dad telling me, like, I'm gonna take maternity leave when you have the baby, and I'm like, sir, you cannot take maternity leave. It doesn't work that way. It was like, no, I already told my boss I'm taking two weeks, and I'm like, dad, you cannot take a two-week maternity leave. And the day I went into labor, I didn't know I was in labor. <laughs> I started. And uh, I was just at home. Like, I'm here. And I had a, I called my best friend, like, so I don't know if I'm having contractions, but something is happening. And she's like, okay, I'm coming over. And I remember. In my mind, I had this plan. I'm going to stay at home as long as possible because I don't want an epidural. Like, I can do this. So, the day I went into labor, my dad actually took me shopping at the outlets and I walked all day. So, that might have been the reason I went into labor. And I had this pain. So, I called my best friend and I'm like, Yeah, I think I'm in labor. And she's like, Okay, well, I'm coming. And I was like, maybe I'm just, maybe I just, I'm okay. And she's like, you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I think so. But my aunt was out of town. Well, my dad was in town, but my aunt was out of town. But I didn't think I was in true labor. So I just, I didn't tell anybody. So it was just me and my best friend just chilling. And I remember calling my aunt and I'm like, I'm in while I'm still at home and she's like I'm on the way I'm two hours away and I'm like okay and then I call back and I'm like I'm not gonna make it and she's like I'm calling the ambulance I'm like please because I lived on the third floor and I'm like I can't walk down three flights of steps and then she called back and said what's the address and I said oh my god no so I told my best friend, let's just drive. And as we're driving, it's four o'clock in the morning. And instead of me calling everyone and being like, 
Wake up. I think I'm in labor. Or just driving. We get to the hospital. And it's still in the height of COVID. So they're like, put your mask on. And I'm like, can't. But I'm not crying. I'm just like irritated. Like, let's get this baby up out of me. Like, come on, let's get this baby out. And I walked in and they said, What's your name? And I said, Alden. And they said, Don't push. And I said, Okay, your doctor's coming. And I said, Okay. And I uh, my body pushed and my baby flew out in two minutes. And the doctor grabbed him with like one hand. And they were like, you're supposed to wait. And I was like, I couldn't. Like, they had to cut me out my clothes and everything. And I remember saying, like, my mom sent me a miracle baby. <laughs> like, she told me to stay home. She made sure I had the easiest delivery, the easiest pregnancy. She sent me a Virgo right before her birthday. And I remember just being like, it's nothing but my mom and God. My angels do not play. And I remember at 4.57, by 4.58, I'm on the phone. And I called I call my dad. I said, Dad? He said, yeah, what's wrong? I'm about to get on the road. And I said, well, I just had your grandson. And he was like, you did what? I was like, I just had your grandson. He's like, no, you didn't. And I was like, uh, you want me to make him cry? Like... I just had your grandson. And he's like, well, let me call the job. Yeah, he took that two-week leave. And every day he came over. And every day he called. But I remember never, I didn't even leave the hospital. And he says, do you need anything? Because they couldn't come to the hospital because of COVID. He said, do you need anything? And I'm like, dad, if I order stuff at Target, can you pick it up? And he's like, I don't know how to do that. And I'm like, oh, God. And he's like, just send me a picture. I'll go back. I was like, okay. So by the time I got out of the hospital, when we got home, everything I wanted was there. <laughs> Lactation cookies, maternity bras, everything was there. And I remember saying, it doesn't stop. Now I'm 25 and my dad still still does for me and uh growing up people would be like you call your dad for everything I do I do and I call for permission 28 years later if I have to go out of town I need permission because his okay is my okay and if I don't tell him I have a rule with one of my aunt, well my dad dad if I don't tell him and I don't tell her I'm lying so somebody has to know and I'll never forget when I, I had my son, my dad was there every day. My aunt was there every day. And they came over every day. And I just remember being like, it takes a village. I, 20 years later, I don't, I'm still not wanting for anything. 28 years old, still not wanting for anything. And I appreciate the moments where. She made sure the village showed up. And it's hard. It's hard being a mom now. Because I question things I do and I say, I don't I know if I'm doing it right. I didn't get to see my mom do that. And I get so jealous when I hear people say like, 
Yeah, my, my son or my daughter is just going to my mom's house. And I'm like, That's, you're so lucky, like. You get to call them for advice or, you know, postpartum advice or motherly advice. Like, this baby won't stop crying. What am I supposed to do? But those are the moments, like, I really wish. Haven't had a phone call. Just one. I don't even know what I'm going to say. But just one. Uh, I tell people all the time because people are always telling me, like, you're so strong. How do you do it? I don't know. And I can tell anyone. I can tell anyone advice about a journey. But do I take my own advice? No. I remember telling one of my friends basically like, you know, you're grieving. You just grieve like no timeline it's 20 years later and people think it gets easier it's harder it's the hardest last four to five years like my senior year was hard but these last four to five years are hard I always think like I wish my mom was here to spoil my child like holidays big deal growing up I have pictures and I have memories of Easter egg hunts Thanksgiving Christmas birthdays huge deal for my mom I miss that so much because it's like my son won't be able to experience that because that right there made my childhood those seven years vague memories but I hold them forever because she made sure I had the best childhood she made sure me and my brother had the best childhood and every Thanksgiving every Christmas I get sad because it won't be an Alpha G Christmas it won't be an Alpha G Thanksgiving Easter but I always think, like, I'm getting to the point where I can give the best Alva Jean Christmases and I can give the best Alva Jean Thanksgivings. And the journey just doesn't stop. Like, like I said, it can snow tomorrow and I will boo-hoo cry. I can go, I can go get a smoothie and I will boo-hoo cry because I'm going to make sure I get her favorite smoothie. Or, you know, once sometimes when I drive around the city, I go an opposite way on purpose to not pass the hospital. Because I don't want to cry today. I'm going to cry tomorrow. I don't want to have, like, you know, just have a moment. But the journey never stops. Grief never stops. Nothing can ever say, all right, time's up. Ten years later. No more grieving. You you forget about it and you just keep going. It doesn't stop. I always thought like certain people aren't meant to die. Like they're here forever. Certain people are supposed to be here forever. My mom was the first one. And when she passed away, I was like, she wasn't supposed to pass away. She's supposed to be here forever. 
last year my grandma passed. And she's one of those people who I associated with never die. And my dad, me and my dad, he was just like, you know, when he first told me, he was like, your grandma's sick. And I was like, okay, like, he's like, but she's going to be okay. And I was like, okay. So he's saying this almost be true. But he never told me what type of sick. And I always remember, like, thinking, but I was just like, I'm older now, so I know my dad would do this. But I'm like, why is he hiding something? I just felt like he's hiding something. And then my grandma passed three days before my birthday, four days before my birthday. And that was my first time really seeing my dad grieve. But he didn't. He didn't. He was strong. He was putting on this. He had this wall built up. And he had it built up because he wanted to make sure through this whole journey, I was okay. So he never told me what originally made her sick, but then I came to find out, you know, she had breast cancer and it ended up spreading through her body really quick within a month or so. So he hid that from me. And then the whole time he was worried about, am I okay? And me and my brother, are y'all okay? How are y'all taking this? But I've never seen my dad like cry. Never seen my dad, you know, like just go through the emotions that we all go through. And he was still worried about us. And I remember telling him, like, you don't have to always worry about us. And he was like, why not? Like, even to this day, if something happens with his health-wise, he won't tell me. So when I ask or I ask someone about it, they'll be like, he doesn't want you to worry. Like, Dad, I'm 28. Like, it's okay if I worry about you. But, like, you're old. It's okay. You're all I got. But growing up, I always said, like, you're all I got. And he'll always tell me, like, he'll always be here, you know, or, you know, he'll make sure I'm okay. But The impact, like grieving, is just—it's just—it's like a never-ending cycle. So, I didn't think I was done grieving when my grandmother passed, but I thought I knew about grieving. I thought I knew about the journey of grieving because I'm like, I grieve like my mom passing away, so I know what to do for my grandmother's passing. It's like a whole new episode. I'm on a whole new season of this this show, and uh, now this season is part one was me grieving, part two is helping my dad grieve or watching you know going through grief with my dad. So like, I find peace in like like the most peaceful peaceful things. I like me and my dad's moments, car shows, working on cars. My dad is my person because he knows every birthday, every holiday. I don't even have to tell him because he already like remind me. But it's time to go to my mom and my grandma's graves and clean up. And that's my thing. This weekend, I'll be down there. 
it's it's time to clean up. And I go down there and I do my cleaning and I sit down and I I talk to the angels and I tell them that I appreciate them. And now sometimes when I call my dad, I'm like, where are you at? And he's like, I'm leaving he's leaving his mom's grave. I'm like, oh okay. We do the same thing. Like we just randomly drive down there and won't tell nobody till it's time to leave and that's our peace. But I always wonder like will my story help someone else? And it does. Anytime I get the chance to tell my story, I'm telling my story. I'm telling my story. It's September. I'm getting ready for October. It's breast cancer awareness. I'm telling my story. Every chance I get. I don't want my mom's legacy to ever die. My son will grow up knowing that his grandpa was a fighter. And his grandma was never weak. And she did everything she could. And his grandma made sure. And his granddad and his aunts and his village, they showed up. And it's never a time when they didn't show up. And then I'll teach them, like, the grandma will send you certain signs. And you'll have to think, like, that's grandma. Because she makes sure that I see a cardinal every blue moon. Or that butterfly lands every blue moon. And all I can think is, that's my world. And like I said, the journey never stops. It just keeps going. The story never ends. It just keeps going. And it's just about, you know, painting the picture and letting everyone know. I'm the author of this chapter and I just keep it going. Yeah. 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 Um, well, you mentioned October being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and and in your sign up form, you said something about that you you know continue to honor her legacy and raise money in the fight against breast cancer. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? What you do? Yes. So every year, faithfully, I start up Alva's Angels, and we join our local um, breast cancer awareness walk, and we raise money. So. My first year ever doing it, it was such a big deal. And I was like, we're just going to do it. I'm going to get us all matching shirts. and We're going to raise money and we're going to go walk. And I was like, we got to go, got to go hard. We got to go hard. And we ended up being the number two team out of 50. And, and raising so much money and having so many participants. And then we had like a family gathering after and we released balloons and it was just like, this is a tradition. This is our tradition. So we we started Alvin's Angels and we raised money. And, you know, we try to help with the fight against breast cancer because there are people who are unfortunate that can't afford the treatments. They can't afford the testings. They can't afford 
you know, just just something like just something that may may help in a little way. And I remember last year talking to some people who were out there walking and seeing so many people come together and walk makes them happy. Mm-hmm. And seeing so many people come together for the fight makes them happy. And it takes that moment away for feeling like another statistic or feeling like a number. They feel mm-hmm. like their family, they feel like they just they're overwhelmed with joy. And that's that's part of keeping Alva's legacy alive because with Alva's angels we we're able to do that. We're able to join together and just have that moment. So every year that's our tradition. And we get together as a family, we raise money, we walk, we get the batch of shirts and we have a good time after. <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah and so you've been doing that for 20 years or this will be the 20th year no this will be the fifth the sixth oh yeah duh you were seven you weren't starting that when you were seven I'm sorry yeah <laughs> I started okay. right when right in college so this will be the I think this will be the fifth no, be that's our great together. that's great good for you for doing that um So one of the things that struck me as you were speaking um, is that it took me a long time to, to realize like that you could have happiness and sadness at the same time. Like, I feel like I always was taught like you're either happy or you're either sad and there was no both at the same time. But when you talked about the snow, you said it can either bring me sadness or it can bring me peace. Mm -hmm. And then um, the other thing, you said was like when you went to college and you went to VCU, just like your mom and you're in the same dorm and you loved it and you hated it all at the same time. And for me, this was just a a huge learning, like one of those aha moments for me, like, Oh, it can and is both all at the same time. It's a beautiful, no, I ain't gonna say it's a beautiful nightmare, but it's like, it's a beautiful, suspenseful moment, like a movie. Like you get your ups and your downs, your peaks and your lows, but what can you do but keep rolling? Like, in this journey, what can you do but keep rolling? Mm-hmm. There's you a take the off- sad moments and you you make them peaceful, you make them joy. You look at the rainbow on the other side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's a word um that an author that i like used that she says brutal it's brutal and beautiful all that's at a the great same word time. right <laughs> isn't it brutal it's a brutal journey yeah yeah that's a great word that's a great mm-hmm. way to look at it mm-hmm. it's very brutal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you let those moments make you who you are honestly and you let them grow you so it's, it's a beautiful journey though yeah well especially when you have a village like yours like I I so people won't see the video you know we we can see each other because we're on on zoom but you you when you were talking about the village that your mom sent and the things that your dad has done and your aunts and your dad's cousin you literally your face was just like lit up you know like I mean you literally were beaming from the inside out describing the love that this village has given you um it's no it's no love like their love and 
I wouldn't be the person I am today. Like, I get people who thank me all the time. Or like, my son's grandmother thanked me, and she said, "You're one of a kind, but you have the best. Like, you're you're so you're so aware of everything, and you're so responsible, and you know how to do like the most odd and end things. Like, I'll get out there and mess with my car. I'll Google what to do, and I'll fix it because my dad taught me. But in her scenario, I think I were I was getting the pool ready for the summer, and she was like, "I want to thank your dad because you don't mind." <laughs> and my dad always taught me that it's nothing that you can't do. And my aunt and my cousin, they were women, but I never seen them have a moment where they're like, "I'm gonna call this man to do this." No, they figured it out. Mm-hmm. Or you know, like more, they just did it. It was just one of those situations where like, just do stuff. Like I, I can't help it. Like I love putting stuff together. I love getting my hands dirty. I just do stuff. So, the village stepped up more than they know. Like I can never thank them. Maybe they'll see this podcast and they'll be like, <laughs> maybe I'll let them listen. And I'll see <laughs> I, cry I think you should. I Oh, I want them. To, I I can never tell them like how much I appreciate them for being that village because without them, there's no me. True. Well, you sure? I feel like you did in this in this recording. I mean, you literally, like I said, were beaming from the inside out when you when you talked about that. So I hope they do get to listen because um, I'm sure that they know. But it just to hear like the words that you used and how you described it is. Um, yeah, pretty remarkable. Growing yeah. up, like, you know, of course, growing up and now, you, when you lose your mom, you, you don't, you kind of get jealous seeing other people with their moms and other situations like that. But I have friends who moms don't let me ever feel like I'm without a mom or you know what I'm saying so in certain situations or certain places we'll go and everyone introduces me as their daughter or you know their daughter and their grandson and they don't know how much those moments mean because always feeling like you have extra family like the village always shows up in some way there's a village here there's a village there there's a village there and like, you know, as you get older, you start to build your own village. And you start to, you know, some people become part of the village and you just appreciate it because it's, it's a never ending journey. So one person may bring in a little bit of peace that you, you're trying to find mm-hmm. and you appreciate it more and more. Mm-hmm. I feel like, especially after you become a mom yourself and, oh, and yeah. like you said, it's so hard being a mom. Like I always tell my kids, you didn't come with a manual. Like I... No. We wanted and you, remember, and we we are intentional, but we all what we're doing. <laughs> um, and somebody says that, like, I think my aunt man said it. I'm like crying and I'm freaking out. I'm like, I I'm doing it. It's so hard. And she's like, "Girl, it doesn't come with a manual." <laughs> we all were there. We all went through the same thing. We all cried and sat back and was like, "What are we doing?" But it's okay. You figure it out. Like. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling my boyfriend, like, we're getting through this parenting stuff, but we're figuring it out because it really doesn't come with a manual. It doesn't come with instructions. You just go with the flow, like, yeah. 
It could be overwhelming, but you just go with the flow. <laughs> one day at a time, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the other things that you were talking about that you know, when your mom cut her hair <clears throat> herself because she wasn't going to let the, the cancer take her pride and you said the battle was on her timeline. I loved that so much. Um, and my sister was the same way. She had breast cancer um, and her battle was almost <clears throat> 10 years. And uh, I always say, that if a will to live would sustain a body, my sister would still be here. But, you know, after all the treatments and everything, her body was just, her body couldn't fight anymore. But her will to live was just amazing through that whole process. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I might steal this a little bit because I just love that that battle was on her timeline. My sister was the same way. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I really like that. How you, how you, put that in words yeah um so as you know i usually um finish the podcast with if there's a final thought or something that you'd like to share with the listeners before we say goodbye and if you don't have one that's not a big deal grief is a never-ending circle um don't feel like you're on a timeline don't feel like it's been 20 years, 59 minutes. All right, it's time to end it. It's your journey. Um, no one will ever understand it. So never feel like you have to conform your story so that someone can understand you or someone can love you or someone can like you. Or, you know, like, if they don't understand it, they just don't understand it. Like, I just told someone that, like, it's part of your story. So why would you try to, like, why would you try to change your story if they don't get it they don't get it or it just it never ends like tomorrow I may be I may cry all day but then I might find peace at the end of it so it's just like it never ends um and no one ever knows your story so your story is different from my story so when it's time for you to go through a moment don't let anyone judge you because it's your story. Like, I don't know. It's just your story. But but we get through it. It's a beautiful story. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I always think is that if they don't understand it, then uh, good for them that they've never experienced something in their life that oh, allows yes. them to have the capacity to. But, you know, you're right. Don't change your story for anybody. No one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm so glad we finally were able to do this, Alden. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Um, thank you for adding to the story. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's mm -hmm. something I've always wanted to do. So when I found, when I found the platform, I was like, no way this is this. No way. Like, where has this been? Like, I love telling my story. Some people get it, some people don't. I love telling my stories. No way this exists. So I was so excited. Never stop. Don't stop the platform. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Mm -hmm.
If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in sharing your story on the podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.